Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Springfield, Massachusetts. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. In the winter of 2009, 23-year-old Ashim Bailey was on break from college and waiting for his spring semester to start. He was enjoying spending time with his family and just relaxing. His family was exceptionally close, and I'm talking cousins are like brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles are always in the house, and your parents are your best friends type of close. On Saturday night, January 12, 2019, Ashim decided he wanted to do some socializing at Samuel's Bar just a few miles from his house. It's a little bar inside of the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, and it's a place he felt comfortable going. He was a regular and usually ran into someone he knew, and if he didn't, he made friends while he was there. Ashim had this infectious smile. It was enormous and beaming and beautiful. And if he was smiling, which he always was, you were too. And he attracted friends everywhere he went. That night, Ashim asked his dad if he was going to be up late. And of course he was because his dad was a night owl. According to an interview his dad did with James Villalobos of Western Mass News, who was a reporter that Ashim had actually gone to high school with, his father told Ashim to call him whenever he was ready to come home and that he'd head over to the bar to pick him up. Ashim's brother offered to drop him off and they headed down to the bar, getting there around 11.15 p.m. His cousin actually wound up tagging along too in a separate car and hung out with him for about 20 minutes before he had to head out and pick up his girlfriend. Around 2 a.m., Ashim's dad noticed that it was closing time for Samuels and that he hadn't heard from his son, so he got dressed and headed towards the bar, assuming that Ashim had just lost track of time and knew that he'd need a ride home. He called Ashim as he left the house, and according to that interview with James, the phone rang and rang until it went to voicemail. His dad got to the bar just before 2.30 a.m. on what's now the 13th, but it was closed, and the only people left were employees. He drove around the area looking for Ashim, thinking he might be walking around, but he didn't see his son anywhere. He drove around this small area of Springfield along the Connecticut River for about an hour, texting his son asking where he was. At around 3.30 a.m., he called Ashim again, but again, it just rang and rang and rang until he got his voicemail. Ashim's father then decided to drive home, hoping that his son might have caught a ride back with a friend, an Uber, or someone at the bar, but when he got there, there was still no sign of him. He stayed awake on the couch, waiting for lights to come up the driveway or hoping to hear the screen door open, but by 5 a.m., there was still nothing. He headed upstairs and went to bed, thinking that by the time he woke up, Ashim would certainly be back. I mean, he's an adult, he can stay out as late as he wants, but his dad was still worried. In that interview with James Villalobos, Ashim's father said he woke up around 11 a.m. to his wife, Ashim's mother, telling him that their son still wasn't home. They both hopped in the car and started driving around Springfield again, seeing if they could find him. They even walked a bike trail that backs up to the bar between some railroad tracks and the Connecticut River. But they didn't see him anywhere. 
By 3 p.m., with no signs of Ashim, no word from him, and his phone no longer ringing and going straight to voicemail, they decided it was time to report him missing. After officially filing a missing persons report, they continued on with their search. They checked local hospitals, they called his friends, and they even called the house phone to see if maybe he'd come home while they were out looking for him. But everything was a no. He hadn't checked into any hospitals, none of his friends could get a hold of him, and the call to the house phone was long in rings and empty in results. Ashim wasn't there. Springfield police went to work looking for Ashim immediately and without hesitation asked the public for help. They post this joyful photo of Ashim, and honestly, that's the best way to describe any photo of him. And they tell everyone that he hasn't been seen since leaving the bar the night before and that his phone either died or was turned off around 3.30 a.m. A couple of days go by without any clear updates and a lot of rumors. But on January 17th, it comes out that at 1.40 a.m. on the 13th, about two and a half hours after getting to the bar, Ashim was asked to leave for what the bouncers refer to as inappropriate flirting. Western Mass News reports that after leaving Samuels, he was seen on CCTV footage walking by the WGBY building. It's a local news building, but it's about a half a mile north of the bar. Now, this is strange because there's not really anything over there as far as nightlife goes. And he wasn't walking in the direction of his house, not that he would even need to walk home because he'd already made verbal arrangements with his dad to come pick him up when he was ready to come back. A few days later, James Villalobos reported that after being seen by the news building, Ashim is seen around 3 a.m. on additional footage walking along the train tracks that run behind Samuel's bar which means that after being asked to leave, Ashim crossed the highway, walking away from the river, walked a half a mile north, then crossed the highway back again towards the Connecticut River, and then started walking south back in the direction of the bar, but behind it on railroad tracks. But he didn't stop when he got behind the bar. He kept walking. The last ping on Ashim's phone put him near the South End Bridge, which is actually around an additional mile south from the bar. His path didn't make any sense. He didn't stop anywhere. He went north, did a U-turn around the Memorial Bridge, walked south, back past the bar he had just been at, and walked at least an additional mile south to seemingly nowhere. There's nothing in that area at 3 a.m., and frankly, this area of Springfield, while it isn't the worst— also isn't the best, and not somewhere you'd want to be walking alone in the dark, let alone when it's 17 degrees outside. Did I mention it was 17 degrees outside? Because it was a whole 17 degrees outside. It was a bone-chilling cold. The Springfield police get to work following up on all the leads that were called in, like one from an Uber driver whom Ashim's father tells James said she picked someone up matching Ashim's description along with two white males that night and dropped them off at what sounds like it might be a motel. 
However, the motel is checked out and no one recalls Ashim or anyone who looks like them being there the night he went missing. While following up on these leads, the local police, along with the state police and even the Amtrak police, pull their resources and search along the riverfront on foot, in boats, and even using helicopters. Ashim's family and friends also hold their own searches, from Memorial Bridge down to South End Bridge and also covering the area north of the bar where he walked before making that U-turn. But regardless of all their searching, there are no signs of Ashim. No clothes, no cell phone. It's like he just vanished after that last ping around 3.30 a.m. It just didn't make sense to anyone. Ashim was this kind, gentle old soul who never got into any trouble and had never just stopped communicating with everyone. It was hard to ignore the possibility that everyone considered that he'd fallen into the river at some point, but it didn't feel like it fit. Between the railroad tracks and the river, there are two tree lines and a walking path. And if you walked across them, you'd just get to the shore of the river. It wasn't like a drop-off where you might fall in. We mentioned the two bridges, Memorial Bridge up north where he turned around and South End Bridge where his phone stopped pinging. But the path he took on foot was beneath those bridges. Sure, you can fall off of a bridge, but he wasn't walking on the highway. He was walking on the railroad tracks beneath them. I think it's also important to mention that Ashim's phone was on and ringing when his father was driving around looking for him. So why didn't he call his dad when he was asked to leave the bar? Why didn't he call an Uber? Why did he walk north only to walk south past the bar and continue walking another mile south, getting further and further away from really anything? And why didn't he answer any of those times his dad called and texted him before his phone shut off? There were all these questions and no answers. By January 23rd, Mass Live reports that the Springfield Police Department has exhausted every single lead that has come in. That doesn't mean that they're not going to continue investigating his disappearance, but they're honestly back at square one at this point, no closer to finding him than 10 days ago when he was reported missing. Feeling stuck and wanting to keep Ashim's case alive, James Villalobos contacts the owner of Samuel's Bar and asks him a few questions. In this interview, we find out that there were absolutely no working cameras inside of the bar that night. Locals have wondered if maybe the woman he was kicked out of the bar for inappropriate flirting with might have been married or some other situation that caused someone to follow Ashim or seek some kind of revenge. But there's no footage of Ashim. There's no footage of the alleged inappropriate flirting. There's no footage of anything. In fact, there haven't been any working cameras in that bar since a maintenance issue that happened back in the fall. The owner does note, though, that there was no confrontation when he was asked to leave. Like we mentioned earlier, Ashim was a regular and he knew the people that worked there and frequented the bar. So when he was asked to leave, he just did without any issue. James then asked the owner what his policy was when someone at the bar is clearly intoxicated. As in, what do you do to make sure they don't get behind the wheel drunk and to make sure they have a safe means of getting home? The owner says it's their policy to call and pay for an Uber or taxi for the patron in that situation. But no one called an Uber for Ashim. No one called a taxi for him. In fact, the bar said that Ashim showed no signs of intoxication, 
But according to James, there's a video out there that the public hasn't seen yet that clearly shows otherwise. If that's the case, this bar kicked out a drunk man in 17-degree weather and expected him to fend for himself. It's a little controversial when it comes to the discussion of the responsibility of a bar and the choices their patrons make while there. But in the end, their policy to get intoxicated patrons home is there for a reason. How responsible is it to feed people alcohol, profit off of it, kick them out drunk in the freezing, freezing cold, and then not care what happens next? The owner admits that they didn't know how Ashim intended on getting home that night and that they'd reevaluate their policies. The following day, Mass Live reports that in an effort to continue to drive leads, Lamar Advertising donated ad space on five of their digital billboards in the area with Ashim's photo and who to call if you have any information. His father tells the outlet that he rarely sleeps anymore and never in the dark. He says he can't do it knowing that his son is still out there somewhere. On January 25th, Team Ashim started gathering by the river around 9 a.m. to start another search. They plan to go up and down the shore, the walking path, and the railroad tracks all between Memorial Bridge and South End Bridge. But before it could start, a guy named Dante came out of the woods holding a phone. It was a black iPhone with reportedly no case on it, and according to Dante, he had found it underneath the Agawam Bridge. From what I can tell, that's the South End Bridge between the railroad tracks. This guy says he found it, picked it up, and then turned it on. If you learn anything from this episode, please let it be to never touch evidence found in a search. Leave it there, call the police, let them take photos of where it was found, and let them appropriately bag it. Please do not contaminate it by removing it from its original spot and putting your prints and DNA on it. Keep the chain of custody as small as humanly possible. Dante wrote on Facebook that he had to pick it up because a train was coming. But if a train was coming, wouldn't they have been coming and going for the last 12 days? In another post, he admits that he should have waited, but den homeless people around, so grab the phone and put it on plastic bags. Another tip, if you find evidence during a search and you don't heed the advice to wait there and let the police come and process it and you pick it up anyway, don't put it in a plastic bag. Avoid condensation and use paper. But again, we come back to the golden rule of volunteer searching, don't touch anything. Regardless, Dude Man picked up the phone and powered it on, and when he did, he says a flood of notifications came in addressed to Ashim. This whole the phone turned on thing had a lot of people scratching their heads. This would mean that someone turned off his phone, wouldn't it? I had the same thought process, so I consulted with a criminal intelligence analyst, and according to him, Extreme temperatures of hot and cold can actually trigger a phone to turn off. So it's possible that Ashim didn't turn the phone off and that the phone turned itself off because it was so cold out that night. Even with that, though, Springfield had had some snow and quite a bit of heavy rainfall in those 12 days, so you'd think his phone would have been damaged. 
But alas, here was this phone without a protective case working. For what it's worth, I went back on his Facebook to see if Hashim had a case on his phone, you know, looking for any mirror selfies or anything. And in a photo from February 2nd, 2018, a little under a year before he disappeared, there's a mirror selfie and his phone does have a case on it. That doesn't mean he didn't take it off sometime between then and when he went missing, but it's worth noting. How the phone got out of Ashim's pocket to get onto the tracks is a different question, though. Because in all of the CCTV footage that has been seen by trusted persons, Ashim isn't on his phone. It's never even seen in his hand. And if it was, you'd assume he'd be texting his dad back or answering when he called. But he never did. Dante was not a part of this organized search team of volunteers. TB Daily News, which can be a little controversial and opinionated, took screenshots of everything Dante posted about Ashim and his searches and, well, screenshots speak for themselves. As soon as Dante found the phone, he posted on Facebook, found hashtag Ashim Bailey phone, gave it to the cops, best lead they had, proud of myself, hope they can bring closure. He makes sure to note in other comments that he gave the phone to the police because it had his prints on it, remember, he picked it up, and that everyone had been looking the wrong way all along, and that he had given the police a location to search. After posting that he'd found Ashim's phone, Ashim's family posted to the Find Ashim Facebook page to tell everyone to stay off the tracks because evidence had been found. Dante then proceeded to share that post with the comment, I found your phone, bro. Ain't stopping till I find you. Don't worry, bud. I got you. A step closure to finding you and put your souls to rest, bro. Everybody prayers to the hashtag Bailey family. Dante says that he'd been searching since 5 a.m. that morning, alone. And it looks like it's not the first one he'd done. At one point, Dante says that after the police announced that Ashim had last been seen on the tracks, he went out searching at 3 a.m. At 10.52 one night, he posted a selfie of himself in what looks like it might be a reflector vest, saying that he was going to start a search for Ashim, even though he didn't know him. The whole thing had people caught between grateful and icky. The post seemed somewhere between selfless and humble bragging, so people dug deeper. And they found that just 39 minutes after the Springfield police had posted about Ashim's disappearance on the 13th, Dante shared it. In one of the screenshots TB Daily News saved of Dante's post, he said that a person could fall into the river where he found Ashim's phone. But there's nowhere along the railroad tracks that someone could just fall into the river. The tracks run beneath the bridges, and to get to the river, you have to cross two tree lines and a walking path, and then you just get to the shore. Dante was interviewed by police, and that's really all we know about that aspect, but someone else interviewed him as well. And of course, it was James Villalobos. In Dante's interview with James, Dante talked about Ashim as if he was dead. It's been 12 days, not 12 months. There are still people out there rightfully holding out hope, but on Facebook, Dante literally posted, It's better to consider other possibilities. Told his sister the same thing. This guy says that he told Dante's sister that it's better to consider the possibility that her brother who's been missing for 12 days 
is dead. Add that to the list of things never to say to a missing person's family member. It's important to note that none of this means that Dante knows anything or did anything, but his behavior is really odd and it doesn't go unnoticed by anyone. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The community was questioning this dude hard, and he went just as hard back at them in the comments, telling one guy, I'll smack you in front of the cops for the comments you said, and telling one girl, funny to say things over social media, let's meet up. Anybody can say things over social media, meet up with me to say it if you'll say that comment to my face. His incessant online presence surrounding Ashim's disappearance, the searching at all hours of the night, the finding of his caseless phone that against all odds still powered on, and his aggressive comments didn't help thwart everyone's suspicions, and frankly, they just made it worse. TB Daily News did some additional digging and says that they found instances of Dante selling iPhones on Facebook yard sale pages in the months prior to Ashim's disappearance. So with that, another theory kind of came into play. People wondered if it was possible that Dante bought this phone for cheap, hoping to resell it for a profit, only to find out it belonged to a missing person and then pretended to find it. Frankly, no one knows. It's only a theory, but it's one of the many theories that have surrounded how the phone was missed, how it managed to still turn on, and why this guy was out there searching alone in the dark in freezing cold temperatures. After his phone was found, a massive search ensued. WWLP reports that the local police, state police, Amtrak police, several fire departments, canines, mounted officers, boats, and helicopters are seen scouring the area for anything else Ashim might have left behind and even for Ashim himself. The Find Ashim page posted that canines actually picked up on his scent but ultimately lost it. By the end of the day, they have Ashim's phone and that's a win, but other than that, they still have no clue where he might be. You might think that his phone would hold some clues as to who he might have been talking to before it shut off, and even exactly when and where it was shut off, but it's password protective, and Apple isn't in the business of giving out passcodes. So unless they guess the right numbers, they'll need a tool like GrayKey or another rival software to try and hack into it. 
Regardless of the wins and the setbacks of the day, Ashim's dad tells Mass Live that the Springfield police have been very good to him, and he couldn't be more grateful for the amount of effort put into finding his son. According to the outlet, more than 400 collective hours have been spent investigating Ashim's disappearance. There are only 288 hours in 12 days. The intensive manpower and resources that this department has put in themselves, let alone utilized by other departments, is the dream response to a horrific situation like this. Days continue to pass and the search for Ashim continues, both by volunteers and first responders, and a $6,000 reward is raised for any information leading to his safe return. And the reward works. There's a significant uptick in reported tips, but in the end, they just don't pan out. By February 2nd, the reward is increased to $8,000, and again, the tips pour in, but Ashim is still nowhere to be found. The one-month anniversary of his disappearance comes and goes, and in that month, through all of the extensive police and rescue efforts and volunteer searches, the only thing that's been recovered is that phone that's still locked and that small hit on his scent that was eventually lost by the dogs. On February 27th, Western Mass News reports that a dentist from the office Ashim went to, Dr. Rob Matthews of The Kids Dentist, donated to his reward to get it up to $10,000. The dentist had gotten to know Ashim and his family over the years and knew how close they were, and the news of Ashim's disappearance hit his heart hard. Not only did he donate to the reward, but he had been sending Ashim's parents food so that it was one thing they had to worry about. With the reward being at a solid $10,000 now, there was more hope than ever that this would be the time where they get the lead that breaks the case. They hope that they can finally figure out what happened to Ashim after he just seemed to vanish off of those tracks. But it doesn't come. Two and a half more weeks pass before there's a break in the case. On March 15, 2019, more than two months since he disappeared, Western Mass News reports that a guy named Anilo was on spring break and out fishing on the Connecticut River when he saw what at first he thought was a log floating by. But the log had some human characteristics to it, so just to be safe, he decided to call 911. He figured it'd be better to report it and it'd be nothing than report nothing and it'd be something. And it was something. What he saw floating by in the river was the body of Ashim Bailey. Two months and two miles south of where he was last seen by the South End Bridge, Ashim's body was found floating in the river. I did some research on river drownings and at what point a body would float, and according to a pretty detailed piece on nzdl.org, when bodies fall into water and the air is removed from their lungs, they sink. In warm water, the decomposition process will begin. Gases will form inside the body, and that will cause them to float within 18 to 24 hours. However, in extremely cold temperatures, the cold water will slow down the process of decomposition and the formation of those gases, and it can take an extended period of time for a body to float, and it usually won't happen until the water temperature has risen. And that kind of adds up here. According to historical weather data from Weather Underground, it was 17 degrees at the time Ashim vanished, and 62 degrees at the time his body was found floating in the river. 
everyone waits for the autopsy results to see if it can give any insight into what might have happened to Ashim, and on March 18th, the results are in. But frankly, they result in more questions than answers. According to Western Mass News, the medical examiner reported no signs of trauma or foul play, and that he was found wearing the same clothes he was seen in the night he went missing. No cause of death is reported until June 17th. And again, there are more questions than there are answers. Ashim's cause of death is listed as unknown. Where the case goes from here is a little hazy. There aren't any updates looking for any more information, but there also aren't any announcements that the case has been closed. However, Western Mass News isn't about to sit on Ashim's case and do nothing. They have been rallying hard for him and they're not about to stop now. They send in a public records request for some footage of Ashim after he was asked to leave Samuels. Footage that Ashim's family had seen and James Villalobos had seemed to have seen in reference in his interview with the bar owner, but it hadn't been released to the public. In this video, there is no question whatsoever that Ashim was intoxicated. He was having trouble standing and even stumbled backwards when trying to do so. He walks across the parking lot a few yards and pees in a bush, then walks back to the entrance of the bar where he literally butts heads with someone who's walking out. He stayed in the parking lot area of Samuels for about 10 minutes walking back and forth, at times having trouble stepping back up onto the curb, before he eventually walks off camera. In this public information request, James also got a note written by a detective that says, Ashim shows no clear signs of intoxication. Again, I repeat, there is absolutely no question that he is intoxicated when he was asked to leave this bar. I'll link the video and Ashim's highlight at the top of my Instagram at the Heather Ashley so you can see it for yourself. Per policy, that bar had a responsibility to make sure that Ashim had a way home that night. I mean, what if he or anyone else in that state had gotten behind the wheel of a car? Absolutely no one was monitoring what Ashim did once he left, even though he was still by the front and even bumped heads with another person leaving. Thankfully, the outlet reports that the mayor wound up taking action against the bar. He suspended their entertainment license temporarily, which means they can't have any live music, music in general, TVs, etc. playing. Basically, all of the things that make a bar a bar, minus the alcohol. He requires that they now document any inappropriate touching and tells them that they have to either have a police officer or a security officer on staff watching patrons leaving the bar and looking for any signs of impairment or intoxication and whether or not they're driving. They also require that the bar notify the licensing agency within 48 hours of security cameras not working. You know, since they'd been down for months before Ashim went missing, meaning there was no footage of him inside the bar or anything in there that happened that night. On the one-year anniversary of Ashim's disappearance, Western Mass News met with his parents again, who are still as devastated today as the day he went missing and the day his body was found. His mother says that love and compassion could have saved her son that night, and they don't want any parents to have to go through what they're going through. They didn't put up a Christmas tree that year or any lights because they didn't feel like they could celebrate anything without Ashim. 
They're forever grateful to Detective Lopez for all the hard work he put into finding Ashim, but they still have no answers as to what happened to their son after 3.30 a.m. on January 13, 2019. I called the department hoping to get an answer as to whether Ashim's case was still an open investigation or if it had been closed, but was told by a detective that he wouldn't give me that information. I can't find any definitive answer anywhere, but if it was closed, I feel like it would have been a simple response. So on that note, if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Ashim Bailey or what might have happened to him, please call the Springfield Police Department at 413-787-6302. For all maps and photos pertaining to this case, check out Ashim's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about the mystery that still seems to surround this case. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Mm -hmm.